This is Apologetics Live with Matt Slick and Andrew Rappaport, part of the Christian podcast community. All right, we are live, Apologetics Live, every Thursday night, 8 o'clock Eastern Time, apologeticslive.com. There you'll have a link where you can join every week just before 8 o'clock. We put that link in. That link is live now. If you want to join and ask questions, you can go to apologeticslive.com. You can then just refresh the page if you're already there, and you'll get a link to join. <clears throat> we may be going to Q&A after a bit. We have, uh, we, we're a little late starting. You know, Matt and I were, were both very scared, very, very, very scared. <laughs> yeah. uh, we, we, you know, Matt, you've been challenged by a guy who needs a title. You know, he doesn't even have a name. It's kind of like Hillary. She doesn't have a last name, just the deacon. So the deacon has... has the deacon, oh, wow, okay. Uh, I guess. And and by the way, it wasn't him calling himself the deacon that I know of. Uh, it was someone else just referring to him as the deacon. Uh, no, we actually had technical issues. <laughs> Matt needs a new computer. If anyone out there. Yeah, that's right. Or, uh, uh, or maybe has a couple thousand dollars laying around because they got nothing <clears> else to do and just drop it in Matt's lap for a new computer for Carm. Because, um, I mean, it's old. You you have to like reboot your computer before every show. I mean, seriously. Yeah, it's yeah. The last past uh, I don't know, couple, I don't know, two, three, four months has been giving me trouble. And I, I used to be a computer tech, so I, I rebuilt it, and um, which means you know wipe it all out, put all the OS and everything's fine, all the updates and the BIOS and everything. And it just gives me a little bit of trouble. I think what is happening is it's just because it's like four or five years old. I think after a while you just got to build a new one. So there was a guy who said he could do that. And I, I was looking for his email. He either emailed me and I couldn't find it, or he didn't email me and I couldn't find it. But if you're listening, email me. You know. And, uh, so a, a couple of years ago, it was me that needed the new computer, uh, and it took me about two years to to finally get my my new iMac. Now I'm I'm mine's running fine, but uh, now fine, it's your yeah. turn. <laughs> yeah, I need a, a Windows those really nicely built systems that. Plenty of RAM, plenty of this, plenty of that. It just is lickety split fast. And, you know, some people, they, they know how to put the right CPU with the right motherboard, with the right uh, RAM, with the right this, the right that, and they can get it all just to work well. I just need to have a, a, an expert do that, not me. <laughs> all right. Well, because I knew that uh, uh, Joseph, who was in uh, last week, uh, we want to have uh, some more dialogue with him. Late, uh, we're going to go to Q&A after you guys get done. But this is going to be a topic on um, basically Orthodox versus Protestant Christianity. And so um, I added him to the uh, to the room here. If you want to unmute yourself, Joseph, make sure that that's working. Uh, um, hello? Yep. There we go. Oh, okay. All um, right. Um, hi. I'm still, I'm, I'm actually still setting up. It's okay. been uh, kind of a nerve wracking thing today. I've just been, my nerves have been uh, totally shot. So Matt's not alone in having a computer that doesn't like him. Okay. Oh, I, I, I have total stress issues. I totally want to get in on the pool though. If there's people with lots of money, cause right now my transmission is just shot and <laughs> totally need that. Um, <laughs> All right. So while you, yeah. you, I'll tell you what, just turn your camera on when you're ready and I'll know when you're when you want, and uh, then we'll, we'll just add you in. Oh no! Uh, well, do I have to turn the camera on? Um, oh no, you don't have to. Then give me. Yeah, a... I just mute, and then I, 
Yeah, either either unmute yourself when you're ready, or uh, or just put a note here in the chat. You're in chat, so um, yeah, just let me know when you're ready. So <clears throat> with that, um, Matt Carm uh, has been having. Uh, I don't know if it's extended into the new year, but you guys have had a matching gifts at the yeah. end of the year. Um, is that continuing into the new year? No, it's an end of year matching fund. So if you want to get in, you better hurry uh, and and uh, go back in time about uh, four days and then do it. So <laughs> well, if you can do that, great. If not, here, well, yeah, I think we got we got to ask the donor because you know it's and you can completely blame me for the the Matt Slick Live podcast that's like a week behind. It's not completely my fault. It is the radio station is we get them and we we no. don't always get them all at once. But um, I started it it's a little bit behind but we may be catching up and uh we're, we're handing those responsibilities off uh to luke and he's gonna he's picking that up so that might be good, good. this this weekend matt <clears throat> uh we're gonna be going down to uh washington dc to the museum of the bible i i don't i don't think you've been there yet nope. but uh we're gonna be doing a um, Christian podcast community podcast event. We're going to be, we got two private tours set up, which will be cool. We're cool. going to uh, basically be going through looking at you all have two tours, one for the old Testament, one for the new Testament. No, no, actually what we're going to do another is one for the, Apocrypha? the dead sea scrolls and the, um, and ancient texts. Oh, and, cool. and sort of, I guess that is a lot of that is old Testament, uh, the dead sea scroll part for sure. And then we're going to do, remember I've been in the, in, I have been in Cave One where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Literally stood in it. Now, okay, so you were in Israel. I don't know. I when I was in Israel, I did get to go in to see uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls that they had on display in the very sure. dark room and uh, see. They actually have, you know, in some of the Dead Sea Scrolls, there were more than one hundred and fifty Psalms, um, and so I've seen some of those. Um, they have some others that are not scripture, but. Uh, so with that, I think uh, Joseph is now good. So Joseph came in last week, wanted to discuss. We, we Joseph and I ended up discussing the issue of, um, well, scripture. What is scripture? What makes it scripture? Who gives it the authority to be scripture? And that might be a good place to to pick up. Uh, actually, but, actually, uh, with with all due respect, uh, Andrew, your name is right, Andrew. Yes, sir. Um, you know, I, I appreciated the talk, um, and with I don't want to get into a long uh, I don't want to get into another a long story about interesting stuff, you know, from my past or anything like that. But my point is, I got off that call, and you know, I, I'll do a quick shout out to my wife here because, frankly, what she what she said hurt because I've worked in apologetics for a while uh, for my for the Orthodox uh, Church, and one thing she said is, "You said nothing that brought them to Christ." And I, my mind hurt when I heard that. It was um, actually a little bit painful because I realized that I had not. I had not said anything that would be helpful. Um, it was kind of like we were just kind of talking past each other. And it was a good talk. I'm not against that. But I should probably state from the outset that my interest is in seeing souls brought to the Orthodox Church. That is my goal. And that is my goal with uh, you guys. And, and I think the difference we're going to have is Matt and I's concern is that we bring people to Christ, not to the church. But that might be a good place to start. That's great discussion. Sure. Um, you know, as Christ established a church, we were we did have some debates on that. Actually, a little bit of disagreement on that. So that's some place to start. Um, 
another thing that I thought about was that it probably came off as a little disrespectful to talk about the origins of the Bible. I, I have watched a couple of these debates. People have been like, you know, it's been two weeks. People have been like, oh, you got to watch Matt's like debate this guy and this guy. And I've watched like a whole bunch of debates with this guy and that guy. And uh, some have been incredibly disappointing. And Matt, you've been consistent. I like that. Uh, but some of the guys you talked to and some of them were people like, you know, I liked, uh, I thought were really smart, but um, you want to talk about the scripture and we should. So that's, uh, I'm, I'm on. Talk about, you, you just, you decide what you want to talk about. I'm, I don't care. Okay. Um, well, that's a, okay. Well, it's, I, it's not an, I thought it was an apologetic show our focus should be on, obviously, you know, I guess my first question is because of your interest in Christ, why aren't you part of the church? I am part of the church. Well, okay. Who's your bishop? Uh, you please define church. Uh, well, the church would be the body of believers, um, as defined in the scriptures. We see the formation of the church in Acts after Pentecost. Um, the apostles established bishops, elders, presbyters, overseers. You know, you know the three, the, you know, so on and so forth. Presbyteros, episcopos, diaconos. Yeah, yeah. Right. That, that's uh -huh. me at the end. So, in any case, the point is that um, my question is. Uh, did you ever reach out to join them? I, I understand the concept of, you know, people, especially in America, they, you know, there's Bibles in every hotel. You go and you say, you know, well, you read about Jesus, you learn about Jesus, and Jesus touches your heart. And that's, I don't doubt that. Um, but my question is, then the follow-up would be going to the church, getting baptized, so on and so forth. I guess I'm trying to understand what held you back. Did no one, I don't know how many Orthodox people you talk to, so I have no idea if anyone said, hey, Matt, have you come to the church or anything like that? Or Andrew, well, your presupposition is that the Orthodox Church is the one true church. So I just don't accept that. Okay. And your definition of church is uh, is wanting as well. You just presuppose certain things. You don't defend them from Scripture. You just assume certain things. Oh, I the word church. The word church has different meanings in different contexts. It can mean the body of Christ. It can mean a gathering of people. It can mean a local church, the people of God, and an ecclesiastical body. Well, yeah, we spoke. Uh, we I did speak to Andrew last week about the variations on you know the word assembly, and the nature of the church. But the church, as commonly understood throughout history, is the body of believers that succeed and that followed the successors of the apostles and maintained the doctrine of the faith. So I mean, I don't I, care about that. I don't care about that definition. It, it, it has no interest and no bearing. I want what the scripture says, not what you uh, would cite out of history. What you think it means? I, I really don't care. I want to see out of the Word of God, because let me ask you, is your church history and tradition inspired of God? I would answer yes. Oh, it's inspired? So, um, really, so it's equal to Scripture then, your tradition oh, uh, and your stuff? I, you, you see, that's one of the things that I thought was interesting, because one thing I don't want, and, I don't, and I'm not, not trying to be rude, but I also want to say this to any Catholics who might be listening, please don't join in and try to back me up, because... I don't, we don't hold to the paradigm of the scripture and tradition or scripture alone or scripture. It's just the scripture is our book. The tradition is our tradition. Tradition is mentioned in scripture. You know the verses better than I do. So I'm not going to. Um, unless you Can really I ask some questions? Sure. Uh, so you say tradition is inspired. Okay. Uh, that well, means... men are inspired. I'm sorry, what? I, I should be more clear. Men are inspired by God. And you they, said, I said tradition. You said yes, tradition. So are you going to say your tradition is not inspired? 
No, I would say that the tradition of the church is inspired, yes. Okay. But it's handed down by men. If so, all right. So it's handed down by men. How does that work? Does, does uh, one guy you know, in a building say, hey, did you hear the one about Mary? And uh, he whispers it in the ear to somebody else, and that's how tradition is passed down? How does it work? Actually, that, that, that's very close to uh, exactly how it worked. It was not okay. whispered or hey there or anything like that. It was much Well, whatever. But, but yeah. So the, this is inspired process? I would say yes. So that means it's without error. I didn't say that. Uh, it, it, wait, it, wait, wait, wait. Are you saying an inspired process can have error in it? I'm saying an inspired process will end with a result without error, but the process itself will involve error. Oh, so we can have sinners who are saying false things be inspired? Well, I think that you can find that in the scripture when St. Paul talks about heresy being among you. So I'm saying, you didn't answer the question. So these people who verbally give a tradition to somebody else, pass it down, is that verbal declaration itself inspired? Well, the ones that are true, not the ones so that are So only the ones that are true are inspired, and how do you know which ones are true? That's, a, that's an interesting question, because uh, that was one of the things I thought was fun to listen to when I heard you guys uh, talking with the, the Roman Catholics. Uh, they always go to the magisterium. Um, well, we're, we're, talking about, we're not talking about Catholics. We're talking about you. Right. How do you but, know which of these oral statements are inspired, which means inerrant and authentic, and other ones are not? Right. Well, basically, the way the church has always done it is through a rule of faith. And so, you know, in the scriptures, we find that the apostles work together in council. Um, they, you know, to make declarations, there's, you know, I could point to the apostolic constitutions. I'm not doing that yet, but that is still, that's still from the apostolic period. But more importantly, to answer your question, there's a rule of faith and the way that we determine what is legitimate tradition, what is false tradition, um, was best defined, best said in the commonatory by, uh, Vincent of Lawrence, who we consider a saint, which is basically where you take that guide what was said by the ancients previously and if they disagree basically you remain silent on it but if you they don't disagree then you go with what the church has always held in other words it's a um it's a reactive process so because we know that the tradition came from the apostles first we try to avoid innovation as opposed to trying to fit we're, we're not if some guy like this guy arius comes out and says, well, Christ isn't the Son of God, and he tries to use the scriptures to prove it. And we turn around and we say, no, we know that that's not the case. Now, granted, he did manage to get some imperial support and throw some of the saints in jail and all that fun stuff, but the point is, the church understood he was wrong, because the tradition, the tradition of that, the traditional reading of the scriptures would indicate that Christ was God. Reading of scripture, not the scriptures themselves. I see. So yeah. you put the scriptures underneath your tradition. You, know, you supplant the word of God under your traditional foot. Wait, and no, you I have you have your foot on the neck of scripture, and you decide what is true. It's your interpretation of scripture that decides if Jesus is God, not if the scriptures themselves declare it. John one one and verse fourteen. At the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. There's no tradition that has to be in, um, invoked in order to understand the clear teaching of scripture. Well, if yeah, you're going to start saying that tradition has to now interpret scripture, then you become the gate holder, the the key keeper. Uh, to what the scriptures really say, and you yeah. become the authority in your church, which to me just leads to damnation, false doctrines, heresies abound. Okay. So your process is just not working. Let's get back to this issue of tradition. 
do these people who say these things, you know, they, they're whispering from one thing to another, speaking, I don't mean it in any derogatory sense, but, you know, Bob says to Frank, did you hear the one about, whatever it is, mm-hmm. do they know that they're giving sacred tradition or this tradition? Absolutely. They do. So yeah. then that means that they know, okay, so I got the corpus of this. So I'm going to try this. Hypothetically, let's just say there's um, 1,000 statements uh, in tradition that are inspired and sacred and true. Sure. Let's just use a number. I'm not saying is that many or not that many. Just, just okay. So we have how many of these guys and where are they that are getting all this information that they're passing down? Well, it's uh, well. Once again, because it's tradition. One thing I should make clear is that it isn't whispered. So this is the stuff that was proclaimed. I, I didn't mean. Yeah, sorry about whisper, but yeah. Well, I, I just want to because I, I don't want to give the I don't want you to get the impression that the church say for because my my primary answer would automatically be the bishops. However, that's an incomplete answer because the people have sometimes preserved the church when the bishops haven't. So historically, the tradition is the tradition regardless of who says it. So you, you see what I'm saying. So let's say you, for example. Because I notice you've read a couple of church fathers. You read all of the early church fathers on a particular topic. You would understand that level of tradition better than your average layperson, and you would, or you would understand it even better, I'd say, than some clergy. The point I'm trying to make is tradition, by its nature, does not require a hierarchical authority. It has one because it's given in the church, but the responsibilities of clergy have often failed. Um, you know, and that's actually been the job of people like apologists, like St. Justin Martyr. Um, that's what they did. You had to defend the faith. I don't know if that Your helped. tradition is inspired of God. Um, is all tradition inspired of God? Absolutely not. Okay. I, I, so I, how I, do you know which tradition is, is inspired of God and which is not? Because what's the, what's the back, thing that judges it? I, it has to go back to whether it's apostolic in nature. The, the so apostolic. let's say someone says Mary went to Rome. Let's just use that, okay? Sure. Uh, how would you know if it's true or not? Because none of the apostles nor fathers that they taught said Mary went to Rome. Ah, so the, your measure of truth is the apostolic fathers. Well, the apostolic fathers and, you know, the church fathers. We don't believe that. The, one thing that's different between us and, say, the Roman Catholics and Protestants, we don't believe that the patristic age has ended. There are fathers now. So who who are these fathers? Uh, well, uh, they're bishops in the church, and the the saintly fathers, the real ones that are going to survive time, are the you know the holy ones, the you know saints. So okay, so your tradition is passed down by people. Yeah, right. That's how okay, it so works. Passed down by people. All mm-hmm. right. Verbally. That's literally what tradition means. Traditio in Latin literally means a, a handing down. Okay. So they're just saying things. Yeah, but they're important. Okay. And so if they're in concert or in harmony with the church fathers, why do we need any tr- tradition? Why not just read the church fathers? The church fathers are relaying a tradition. It's contradiction in terms. What church fathers? They're, what, Irenaeus? Well, St. Irenaeus is a great example. I read an interesting thing that I thought was a uh, very well, hold on, hold on. You're off topic here. Did uh, Iren- Irenaeus wrote his stuff? He's dead. Yeah. So we have any any more modern church fathers that give you give us more tradition? Well, when they have they have tradition for today because the church is alive today, but they are not like adding anything to the first century. I mean, you know that, that church was, tradition uh, that... today. 
so you know who these people are who have this church tradition today? Traditionally, that or that role is held by the bishops. So I'd say my bishop would be one. Bishop. So your bishop is uh, one, one church is, father. Is, is one, he's a church father. The living church father. Living church father. And he's the bearer of tradition? I, I would hope so. That's what he took an oath for. He took an oath to do what? Took an oath to defend and uphold the tradition of the church. Ah, okay. All right. So he took an oath to uphold... <clears throat> to uphold and defend the faith, the tradition of the church, you know, the whole thing. It's all and defend the faith, the tradition. That's what a bishop's supposed to do. You know, he guides his flock. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, in other words, you have a non falsifiable system that's not based on the Word of God, that's based on your subjective experience of your particular bishops in your particular church organization that will then tell you how they interpret what the church fathers mean selectively in order to support their views of what the new tradition is. Uh, well, no, yeah. there's things that are different for the first, uh, than what you said. The first one is you, uh, you said apply them selectively. That's incorrect. Yeah, they, they, have, they have to apply them holistically, completely. So the point is they can't make up new teachings period. Um, you can't do that. You can clarify existing teachings, and that's what happened with the Arian controversy and every other her her uh, heretical controversy. Do you affirm toll houses? Uh, yeah. Uh, sure. Can you show me that in Scripture? Um, well, you know, you can go into some parts of Scripture uh, for toll houses. It's not actually, you know, there's disagreement on it, but I mean, you want to talk about the Tolonia and Scripture. So you don't have that in Scripture, and toll houses are in some sacred tradition? Well, believe it or not, there's debate over toll houses, but I think it's largely been squashed. I think most people understand that the Toloni are simply a place people pass through on the way to heaven. Okay. So any church fathers that teach these toll houses? Um, well, the main source that you would get for that, hold on, because the main source you would find in the Scripture would be the angels and demons contesting over the soul. And that's literally what they do at a toll house. That's, it's literally demons fighting well, over the They angels. do that in a court. They do that in a mar mom and, I mean, a, a married couple angels. will do that in bed. It, that, that's way too vague. No, angels, it was talking about angels and demons, not married couples or people in court. So a toll house, could you tell everybody what a toll house is? Toll house is an expression. It literally means a way station. Effectively, what we're talking about is when a person dies... They're judged. It's the an extension of the belief in the particular judgment. I don't know if you believe in a particular judgment or not. Um, so that's a that's an interesting question. Well, you know the you know we're looking at your methodology here, but uh, uh, toll houses. Um, well, let's see. I'm trying to look through my notes. I never I never would have expected toll houses. That's interesting. Well, yeah, because it's one of the more ludicrous uh, teachings of, of orthodoxy, which obviously is not. I dropped the link in for you, Matt, from Charlie that he posted on YouTube. Okay. Um, it's okay. Uh, forgot what I was going to say. Something about toll houses. Yeah. Um, I was on a train of thought. Sorry. Um, I can wait. Well, let's see. Uh, toll houses are, are certainly not in Scripture. Uh, and well, I'm asking, no, they're not. Can you, can you show me any place in church fathers where there are toll houses? 
Um, yeah, you can find a few. You can find a few fathers, Saint Gregory, Saint Leo. There's a, there's a few who talk about it, and then you have some of the later fathers. Uh, there was the life of Basil the New, um, but that's over centuries, you know. And it's uh, again, I'm not. I don't want to. I don't want to. Wait a minute. The well, other I, church fathers don't t- teach this. Would you say the majority don't teach toll houses? I would say that a uh, number do, and I never counted. Oh, come on. Give I'll me a couple of names. Do you know there's many, 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 many church fathers? Uh, would you say the majority teach toll houses? Tough question. It's still it's still debated in Orthodox. You pick something that's debated in Orthodoxy now. Um, even now, there's people ask whether or not that's a figurative thing, whether we're supposed to see them, but they are in our prayers. Um, so you don't you don't know if it's true or not. It's just something that's figurative. You don't have it in the scripture. And you can't nail it down in your tradition. You're not even sure what it means. This well, is your, how your tradition works? I'll, well, I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. People who go through the toll houses are either going to heaven or hell. You do believe in heaven and hell, correct? Of course. Okay, then it doesn't really matter how you get there unless we're talking about here on earth. The main thing, the main reason that it's mentioned, and again, this is apocrypha. If you look in the book of the Maccabees about praying for the dead, the assumption is that the church has always held that there's salvific actions that can be taken for the dead because the dead aren't fully dead. We're off topic. Well, no, it's not on topic. I'm just looking about toll houses. I just looked through the uh, Antonician and Postnician church fathers. I type in the word toll, mm-hmm. didn't come up once anywhere. Okay. Now, you know, it doesn't mean that the concept isn't taught there. Well, you know, I've, I've, I've but, just never, it's never been something that I've seen heavily affirmed this is, in dogmatic statement of the church. It's just, well, not, this is not, part not, of your tradition. It this is. This is part of what, yeah. So I'm just working on something from your tradition. And apparently it's not in scripture and it's not in the church fathers. And you're saying that a lot of your guys believe it. I'm just testing how your tradition works. And it's supposed to be inspired. It's not looking real good for you right now. Well, that's okay. I've worked my way out of a hole before. Oh, you um, admit it's a hole. Let's, let's you see. You admit a difficulty. In the dialogue with Trifo, I'm just going to – I ju- jumped off the internet here just to see. Uh, St. Justin Martyr, um, he's one of the apostolic fathers, says, Deliver my soul from the sword, and my only begotten from the hand of the dog, save me from the lion's mouth, Psalm 21, 20, 21. This was written so that when we arrive at the end of life, we may ask the same petition from God, who is able to turn away every shameless evil angel from taking our souls. Um, so at least one church father that was probably taught by the apostles did, in fact, teach something. Can you read that again? Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, read again. Deliver my soul from the sword. And my only begotten from the hand of the dog, save me from the lion. The hand, I'm sorry, the hand of what? The dog. This, this, it's Psalm 20, dog, 20 okay. to twenty-one. Verse yeah, I'm sorry, I have a slight problem hearing. I have okay. eighty decibel ringing in my ears. I'm not <sighs> trying to be difficult. I just want to be clear. No, no, no. I, I, I appreciate your your need for clarity. I, I'm okay. I'm very similar. Um, what it said is, um, deliver my soul from the sword. It's Psalm 21, 20 to 21, if we, if we just want to get that. Okay. Um, so it says, deliver my soul from the sword, my only begotten from the hand of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. And then he says, this was written so that when we arrive at the end of life, we may ask the same petition from God, who is able to turn away every shameless evil angel from taking our souls. Angels can take our souls? Well, they you know, the idea is demons take our souls to hell. That's what the toll houses are. Yeah. And so are you saying that angels can take our souls and no, demons take can our take our souls? 
they, they escort our souls to the right place. Yeah. They can take them. So a demon could rob someone's soul and take them to the wrong place. To no, the bad place? No, oh no, that's not what happens. Oh, okay. it's just, oh, just making sure. Life. Yeah, no, no. Okay. Yeah. It, it, there's no, it's not, well, there's no purgatory. It's the, but the basic process is if you're dead one way or another, you're going to go where you kind of intended to go. Okay. So you admit it's a problem, the toll houses, the tradition thing isn't working for you in this respect very well at all. Okay. Um, so, you know, I, I just don't think your tradition, you know, well, I mean, I, I, could, I can grill you all night on tradition questions. I got well, a lot I, more I could ask you. They're tough. Awesome. Could you, I, I actually would like some because you that would? you picked, a, yeah. I'd love it. I, I think that's, you probably picked one of the most controversial issues in orthodoxy today, which is ironic that that's actually a controversial issue, but that's, you know, Really? So if you have more questions, sure. Okay. How does such a person who is, I'm not meaning derogatory whispering, I'm going to use a different word, just speaking, just saying. Teaching. Uh, well, uh, you know, he's saying a tradition okay. uh, to somebody else, okay? Um, does he know he's conveying authentic information and not just hearsay? Well, considering it came from the apostles, you'd have to assume that he's, well, the, that's my point. Tradition, and this is why tradition comes when we say church fathers we mean glorified fathers saints in other words so they can't be well, liars well hold on you know i mean uh, I, I, I do not want to be taken as trying to be mocking or condescending in any way so no. I, I, can, I keep saying that i'm not not trying to do that at all but I, um, I don't mind if you get a little mocking no i don't want to do that even if you don't mind unless i'm mocking you personally because i don't like you for fun and you'd laugh well, that'd be the only way i don't like to do that with people well, that's fine but, um, you know, so you have a bishop in – what state are you in, just to be well, mind? I'm in Pennsylvania, but the bishop's uh, in New Jersey. That's okay. Right. So we have a New Jersey bishop. Hmm? All right. And so he's alive today. So he's the one, then, who received sacred tradition from somebody else. I told you, sacred tradition, it carries on through the ages. Okay. Anyone can learn the sacred okay. tradition, but it's his so, job to end it. So how does he know he got it from the lineage from the apostles? How does he know that? And not, you know, uh, 300 years ago, a guy said something that another guy heard, and now he, he puts it in. And it's not, how do you know? Tradition, or are you referring to a succession? Because those are two different things. Well, tradition is by succession. It's transmitted by succession. Well, it's transmitted so how does, by generations. It, it, it's transmitted it, what? I might have, I should have been more clear if, you, if you're confusing tradition and succession. Tradition is a body of knowledge. Succession is the role given from the apostles to the bishops to the present day. Those are two different. Right, right. and they're different. They're different right. things. But my point is that there's no, like he doesn't, like the bishop doesn't get like a book that's called tradition or something and say, here you go. And that's, I mean, outside of. What the, does he get? Uh, well, he gets a crozier and a hat. I mean, <laughs> no, no, no. But those, those objects aren't tradition. Tradition is either written or well, it's verbal. No, so no, you said no. it's not a book, so it has to be no, the oral. Well, actually, those objects are part of tradition, but that's beside the point. I'm sorry, I didn't understand that. What? The the staff and the hat are, in fact, part of tradition, receiving the staff and the hat. Well, there is no uh, part in the Bible where it says, receive your staff and hat, you're a bishop now. That just didn't happen. Yeah, but, but I'm not talking about that, the vestures. I'm talking about this, you know, stuff about Mary, stuff about salvation, stuff about toll houses. That's an interesting, you know, I, you know, I watched your debate with, uh, with these three Catholic guys on Mary. Um, they, they were, it was a, no, 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 well, no, it, it was a good debate. You actually did quite well. And I was shocked because you had a bunch of questions about praying to Mary. Um, and you asked, like, I think it was something, I don't know if I can jog your memory here, so I don't have to repeat it. But basically, like you'd said, you'd said to these guys, like, um, you said, so you believe 
that um, you, can, you Mary hears your prayers all over the world. And they were they kind of look confused and stuff like that. And then you're like in different languages, right? And so you're going through this long thing. You remember this discussion? Yeah, I say it regularly. And yeah, how can Mary okay. hear all right. our prayers spoken and thought in different right. languages but here's what blew uh, all over the world simultaneously? Yeah, here's what blew my mind. None of them could just say yes. I don't understand why that was so difficult. I mean, were they? I mean, I get that they might have been afraid of, you know, they, they argue, if they argue with people. I don't. I'm not into traps. Well, what do you I, think? I am absolutely. I just said yes. That's exactly my position. So Mary can hear all these prayers all the time, everywhere, all. I mean, all over from yeah, all people. Sure. And, and if I and that are thought and spoken. Well, uh, no, because technically prayers that are in thought aren't thought aren't prayers until they're verbal. Yes, they are. Yeah, uh, you can pray without speaking. You can, but the point is you shouldn't, because if you don't, <clears throat> you're, it's not coming out. Um, so, so you just said you can pray, pray silently. Pray so that's the, that's a prayer. But you should. So, Mary can, so your position is Mary can hear silent prayers in different languages all at the same time, or spoken prayers. All over the language, all over the world, excuse me, different languages simultaneously comprehend all of them. Joseph, yeah. Joseph, try not oh, to interrupt when Matt's speaking, okay? It's okay. We're kind of interrupting each other, but it's going fine. I mean, yeah. you know, I, it's just I, when that happens, no one can hear either of you. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I'll well, try. Rebuke I, me, too. Sorry. Okay, no problem. <laughs> well, I just did it. I would okay. love to do that. Oh. <laughs> okay. So uh, you admit, though, uh, Joe, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Joe. So you admit that Mary can hear prayers spoken and thought simultaneously all over the world. Yeah, I actually, I'd like to take it a step further than that. Wow. Okay. Um, may I? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, in the uh, in the 16th century, there was a there's a monk who uh, lived in uh, like Finland, the Kola Peninsula, called Trifon of Pechenga. Um, little little known guy, very, you know, humble little monk, very holy, you know, nice guy. He died. Miracles happened around his grave, and uh, he was named by the Russian Orthodox Church as a saint. I believe that St. Trifon of Pechenga can do the exact same thing. Okay. So, not only Mary, but this other guy. Uh, oh, no, your... all this, every saint can do that, is my point. Oh, so, random, oh okay. Random wow. yeah. So, all saints uh okay now i gotta ask you sure. what's a saint is saint anybody who's saved or saint anybody who's is a special thing for sainthood that's a great question because there is a very big difference between our views on that um the most and what i mean by that is orthodoxy our focus salvation is a process and in that process we become united to god a saint is somebody who is literally united to God and died that way, so they are alive in Christ and can still act even on the other side. Okay. Um, I don't think uh, you're on the right track because uh, I think you're exceeding what's written in the Word of God. Well, I, I don't know. I, I would disagree if I, may, if I may quote the Word of God just really quickly. Um. And this may be a strange quote, but I bought this Bible at a Dollar Tree. I bought a Bible just for this debate, and it's, it's really small and seven-point text. So it's a King James, though. So okay, I'm in. Uh, where is it? Romans uh, twelve. Okay. Okay. And it says, "I beseech you, therefore, brethren, 
by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what that is good and acceptable and perfect. Did, did, I, did I do something? What? No, I just turned my fan off. Sorry. Oh, okay. I totally listened. I, was like, I apologize. Oh, no. I didn't know you are watching. Yeah, I well, perfect will of God. For I say that although the grace, uh, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not ought to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as as God hath dealt to every man the member the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are but one body in Christ, and to all members one of another. Having then the gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophecy according to the proportion of faith. Of ministry, let us wait in our ministering, or he that teaches on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality, bless them which persecute you, persecute you, bless and curse not, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. I can go on. You know this entire chapter. I'm sure you do. But my point is that a person because St. Paul is not suggesting that this is something that happens when you suddenly believe. He's saying these are your responsibilities. Do we live that? And if we don't, then there is a difference between us and those who do. And that is what we call saints. So saints live this stuff. Yeah. Okay. So the ones who live that are able to hear all prayers spoken in thought in all languages, all over the world, simultaneously. In in some cases, they were able to do it while they were alive. Okay. So some could do it while they're alive here. But literally millions of, yeah. millions of people praying different languages and comprehend all of them. Uh, I, do you think it's okay to, uh, to exceed what's written in the Word of God in this regard? No, I just read the Word of God in that regard. But you read in the Word of God did not justify their uh, ability to, to have godlike features of hearing all prayers all time, all over the world. What well, you read well, was, was just simply about, you know, sanctification and, well, I mean, and various gonna, gifting. Well, it's an interesting thing that you're pointing out there, Matt, but really, if you want me to break that down, for example, you mentioned, can Mary hear, hear uh, prayers in all languages? And to them, we can add St. Trifon and all the other saints hear prayers in all languages. But we can also then just go to the Acts of the Apostles and point out that at Pentecost, they could speak in all languages. I assume that means they could hear as well as speak. Well, it doesn't say they spoke in all languages. It says they spoke in all the languages of the people that were around Well, them. that were present, not not in all languages. They spoke well, in all the languages yeah, that were they're represented, yeah. It, was not so like that, it wasn't like yeah, two that, languages, or it wouldn't be that impressive. Yeah, and that's because uh, there's different theories of what that means. Some think that they're only supposed to be speaking in the Hebrew language or the Hebrew dialect, and so therefore they were hearing them speaking in all different languages, uh, these different languages around, you know, Scythian and Egyptian, whatever it is. So you're saying that that part of the Acts was just the, the figure, figurative or something? Of course no. not. It really happened. Okay. No problem. So then it really happened because yeah. God, God gives people the ability, would give people the ability to speak in multiple languages if they needed to, am I right? 
Yeah, if if I absolutely believe that because that's what the Bible says is the word of uh, you know, gift of tongues and things so like that. Speaking in the scripture to believe that they can do that after they're completely united to God. Uh, well, speaking in tongues. We didn't talk about speaking in tongues after they're um, dead. We talked about this one particular issue of being a, of one individual, for example, anybody uh, being able to hear uh, simultaneously all languages all over the world spoken and thought simultaneously period, and comprehend all of them at once. Right, you can't get that out of Acts 2. Can go, well, no, I can, get the speak, I can get the speaking in tongues part, and if we want to talk about all places and all times, we, we can. But the more important thing is, do you believe God can do that? Uh, God can. Only God can, because that's one of his attributes of his existence. Exactly. Now, is that, well, I, I, would, I would argue that that's, even that is an imagination on our part, and it's be, he's beyond that, but that's beside the point. What's more important is that those souls who are united to God can do what God grants them. I don't believe, for example, that first off, if someone prays, say, for example, let's say someone prays to the Theotokos, to Mary, um, I'm sorry, every third daughter in Orthodoxy is named Mary, so that's going to get confusing for me. Um, the point is, someone prays to the Theotokos, I want to murder that dude. It's not going to happen. Why? Because it's wrong. But the point is, God allows his saints to work miracles before and after death that's what's that's the amazing part for example like um here's a, another example well actually you know i'm, I'm gonna stick with that one well that one. we stick with this this one thing i mean yeah. you don't you're going beyond what's written in the word of god it doesn't which say in acts not, i'm sorry oh, which part it doesn't say in acts 2 that any individual could hear uh spoken prayers, if we're talking about prayers, spoken prayers, uh, thought prayers uh, in different languages all over the world, simultaneously comprehending them all at once. Where's that in scripture? Well, the, you said that's an attribute of God. Where yeah, we, we know that because because God is omnipresent. God knows all things, and he would know all things about people, all people praying to him simultaneously. It's a characteristic of God. Somebody is united to God because they were insane. Well, what does it mean to be united to God? Does it mean now they can they can all of a sudden be everyone in the universe all, all, also? If you can move mountains, yeah, sure, why not? So wait a minute. So you're saying that a human being can now be omnipresent? I'm saying that a human being who's dead can share, take a share in the reality of life with God. All right, so let, let's work with that then. So uh, a saint, mm -hmm. I'll dead or alive, can uh, hear all prayers mm -hmm. of all people mm -hmm. all over the world. All over if the God world. God allows them to. Uh, simultaneously. Uh, can they also be uh, everyone in the universe all at the same time? Uh, I would assume they go wherever God wants them to go. No, no, no. Could they be omnipresent? Well, I don't like. I don't know. I mean, does God want them to be omnipresent? Well, you said that a saint can hear all prayers of all people all over yeah. the world simultaneously, right. and you say, and you, the reason you're justifying that is because they're you're united with God. Yeah. Okay. So. They are united with God. I'm writing these notes, okay? Sure. With God. No, I okay. So, since they're united with God, can they also be everywhere all the time? If God needs them to be. Okay. So, this, so what you're saying it is or possible. Needs, God doesn't need anything. But we so, it is possible for people, uh, saints. I'm going to say saints, sure. to be everywhere all the time, to be on the present. If God wants them to, yeah. 
Okay, but it, is, it, it does or doesn't. God, it's possible it's what for that. God wants, right. What God wants to do with the saints. Okay. Uh, so they can be omnipresent. So a saint, single saint, could exist simultaneously in all parts of the universe, everywhere. Well, once he's united to God, he does. Okay. Can you show me anything like that in Scripture that backs this claim up? Uh, the your which specific claim that is possible for a saint uh, to be omnipresent in the entire universe? Uh, I don't think that there's too many examples of saints who are omnipresent in the entire universe. You said it's possible. I just wanted to go with scripture because I think you're exceeding what's written in the Word of God. Okay. Well, that's an interesting question. Um, hold on one second because I do actually want to look something up. If you don't mind, I'm sure. Okay. okay. Now, if okay. we look in, um, okay, Genesis five twenty four. Okay. <clears throat> Genesis five twenty four. I'll get my handy dandy translation I have here because it's very comfortable. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Where is he? He uh, went into uh, the, the heaven. That's what it looks like. There's different levels of heaven. Where, and, where's uh, that? But yeah. Well, we don't know exactly where it is. So it could be anywhere. I wouldn't say anywhere. I wouldn't say it's in hell. Well, it's obviously not in hell. Hell's a negation. Yeah. So then it wouldn't be anywhere. Well, my point is he could be anywhere outside of hell. Outside of a place he's not supposed Simultaneously, to Simultaneously all over, all over, you mean? I don't know. I'm not God. I know he took him off Earth. Okay. Uh, so, um, but now you're teaching me that a saint can exist all over the universe simultaneously. And I'm looking for a place in Scripture for that because you keep going beyond what's written. You're exceeding what's written in the Word of God. Okay. If you accept that God exists throughout the universe and you accept that saints are united to God, then it's a logical conclusion that saints will be wherever God wishes them to be, including everywhere in the universe. No, it's not logically necessary. Uh, can you show me where it says we're united with God in the Bible? Uh, what do you mean by uh, show you where it says we're united with God? You're the one who says we're united with God. Well, show me that in Scripture. Okay. Um, now, what you're saying then, I want to be I want to be specific here because you're talking about union with God, correct? Mm -hmm. Just Union, uh, united, yeah. Show me where, and what, and then you have to define what that is. Okay. Um. Sure. Give me one second. I'm gonna go with a. I'm gonna go with a simple one first. I was trying to make that point in Romans, um, and that point was that we have, when you are a Christian, a responsibility that goes beyond the normal human responsibility. But to simplify it, I will simply, let me see here, I really need to get a better concordance. Okay, um, I'll tell you what, while you look that up, now would be a good time since you're looking that up, mm -hmm. uh, for us to just give a word from our sponsor while you look that up, give you some time. Sponsors? Yeah. You know, uh, sponsors. Matthew so, 548, that's what it was. Okay. No, so Matthew what? Oh, 548? Yeah. Okay. We'll continue after the sponsor. 
Yeah, so th- this show is, and also the Matt Slick Live radio show is put on and, and supported by My Pillow, a great pillow to have. And uh, they are kind enough to help with uh, Carm's radio show with Matt Slick Live Monday through Friday, five days a week. Was it Matt? That's what I know it's uh, Eastern time. I think it's five o'clock. My radio show? Yeah. You are a complete heretic. Uh, you should know that. No, it's sure? uh, four. It's no, six it's, o'clock. Well, it changed, it changed when you went to, out of the radio station. Yeah, it's, it's six o'clock. And you switched. Eastern I forgot time. for a split second. But yeah, we did. We were on different times. That's yeah. True. You went a while out back. I remember. Yeah. But at six o'clock, six o'clock Eastern, um, yeah. you can listen to Matt's like live. You can go to Carm and uh, Carm.org. You can get the details there. But both, but that is that program is supported by My Pillow, and My Pillow is a great pillow. Has a like ten year warranty. You can throw it in the washer and comes out. Put it in the dryer and it comes out just as fresh as like the first day. I've done that several times to mine. Um, I travel with it. I'll be taking it with me to D.C. this weekend as I go to the Museum of the Bible because I don't travel without my my pillow. So, and I know Matt does too. It is a great pillow. We know uh, some folks that were not sure, and they went out and got some, and they loved it. And, uh, you know, so if you want to get your my pillow and help support Matt Slick Live, you can go to call 1-800-944-5393. That's one 800 nine four four five three nine six and back to the discussion okay that's 548 524 524 was it 520 was it 548 did i say or 524 Context determines the meaning. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Mm -hmm. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you Mm -hmm. so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward does uh, what, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you're to be perfect because your heavenly father is perfect. The heavenly, heavenly father loves everybody equally. We aren't to show favoritism. That's the perfection that's being talked about in the context. The reason I know this, I've only been studying and aware of this verse for about 39 years, yeah. dealing with Mormons who use this to demonstrate that they can become gods. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's an, interesting, uh, it's an interesting choice there. Um, that you went with uh, Mormons on that, actually, because I thought that Mormons basically they get their own planets and stuff. But in any they case, do. They teach you to become gods. That's what they mean by perfection. It's their idea of deification, becoming godlike. Well, now what's deification? Becoming a god. Okay, so now it's interesting because Orthodox use deification to mean becoming united to God. I know, yeah, and uh, theosist. But it's still, you know, I, I'm very, I guess I'll, I'll insult myself. I'm a little anal about things. And I don't mean to, you know, ask a thousand questions. I love just it. Just to be, to be irritating. I ask a thousand questions because that's how I learn. I have, I'm a little autistic. And so I get down to the minutiae, the early details. And, it's, I, and sometimes I, I wear people out. I want to know. Yeah. Then I can, no, I, want to, I, want to, I want to understand I it so well. I realize, that, I realize that what I'm saying sounds so insane. No, I've heard it before. Okay, well, then it sounds pretty, okay, it sounds, well, would you say it sounds sane? No, I'd say it's blasphemous and ungodly and unscriptural. 
Okay, that's great. Okay. Um, I disagree. I believe that that's actually the teaching of Jesus Christ, but that's beside the point. Well, nothing in Scripture says we can become gods. That's true. Nothing in Scripture says that we uh, have to light three candles at an altar, we have to give a hat to a bishop, but we do it too. So are you saying we can become gods? No, I'm saying the actual term, I think St. Chrysostom put it best when he said, God became man so that man might become God. Right, Chrysostom was a brilliant preacher too. Yes, but, he was. Um, and yeah, but does it, so it he doesn't mean he's right about everything either. No, that's true, but he can hear everything now. He can. Probably. Can you show me that in Scripture where he can hear everything? And Considering where Christopher years after the canon of scripture was decided, I'd say probably not. And, and where Christopher is omnipresent. Well, God is omnipresent. Okay, but you said that saints can be. This is put this way. Uh, show me a scripture where it's, where it shows that anybody other than God can be omnipresent in a human being. In they saint. can't. They can't. As soon, no, they can't. As soon as you say other than God, you've negated. You just. But you just said that that they that saints they could be everywhere. To God, not other than God. I didn't they say other. To. Well, you did. You actually just said other than God. Oh, okay, okay. I get you're saying. So you're saying when they're united with God, they can therefore be omnipresent. When He needs them to, absolutely. If they're omnipresent, are they aware of all things in the universe simultaneously? I don't know. I'm not omnipresent. Okay, um, and so you're saying because they're united with God, which you haven't defined, okay. now that means that they can be omnipresent in the entire universe. If God chooses for them to be omnipresent in the entire universe, sure. Okay, can they also be all-knowing? I don't think so, I don't know. I guess well, if they could be omnipresent, united yeah, with God. Well, why would God want to make them all-knowing too? I don't know. I'm working with your position. That's not mine. I'm I've trying to get you to ventures. Well, that's my point, is that I've never heard of some of the... It's, a, it's good that you're bringing an extreme example up, so I have to answer the theoretical possibility. But in terms of the actual practice of the church, it's never been known. I, I don't know where anyone's ever said, hey, St. Trifon of Pechenga, could you possibly tell me if my mom's going to die next week? I mean, I have no idea how that works. I do know that people praying for their mom to, you know to the Theotokos and asking for intercession or, or uh, St. Trifon of Pechanga. I'll use him again, even though, you know, I, I didn't really know who he was till last week. But the point is um, that, you know, they help. And the question is how? The only answer we have is that God gave them that ability. No, the scriptures don't say God gave them the ability. You just infer it by very weak relationships. You're united with God, so therefore, if you're united with God, then they can be every, ever present. That's possible. Well, if that's the case, then they can also be all knowing. Hold on one second, because I do want to search, search up one thing. Uh, here's the uh, I have a question um, Acts 19.12. So this is related to this. I'm not trying to uh, diverge. But Acts 19.12, yeah, if we can use your translation, because I don't know what yours is going to say. And I use NASB, the one Paul used. Go ahead. Okay. NASB. Okay. That's uh, that. Okay. Use whatever. No, I don't care. Paul. Handkerchiefs and evil spirits. Oh, like, I, yeah. I don't think he used the NASB, but that's beside the point. Um, okay. Well, I got the, I'm using this KJV here. So, And God brought special miracles by the hands of Paul so that the body... The, that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons 
and the, the diseases departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them. Handkerchiefs and aprons. Now, I would assume that St. Paul was not aware of what was happening with his handkerchiefs and aprons. Am I right? I don't know if he was or wasn't. Well, I mean, I don't, you, I'm sure he didn't physically, he didn't have GPS. He wasn't physically tracking them. Was he? So that from his body were brought, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs. And, oh, I mean, that these handkerchiefs and aprons went out to people. Uh, right. And that, it does, I don't know if it, it doesn't say that they, they were out of his presence, doesn't say they remained in his presence. So all we could do is offer conjecture at this point. Well, it, it literally says that from his body were brought into the sick handkerchiefs or aprons. I mean, and that yeah. was pure, and the evil spirits went out of them. In other yeah. words, handkerchiefs and aprons. I would assume that St. Paul did not have the power of God to create handkerchiefs and aprons, but that came from God, that the handkerchiefs and aprons could then cast out demons, presumably heal the sick, the same way we use relics today. But the point I'm trying to make is that the handkerchiefs and aprons, to my knowledge, do not have... Uh, they don't have divine authority of themselves. They certainly haven't declared themselves believers or handkerchiefs and aprons. Right. So how does that work? Well, this is a diff off topic of the issue of how a person united to God can be uh, omnipresent. Well, I'm wondering uh, how a handkerchief or apron can be united to God. Uh, it doesn't say it's united to God. It is united to Paul, right? Uh, it doesn't say it's united to Paul. But well, was it says it was wrought from the hands of Paul. When Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared in the room with the disciples, did he walk through walls to do that after the resurrection? Uh, I believe he. Well, I think I thought he did that uh, in a different. Uh, no, yeah, I think he did. Yeah. No, the Bible doesn't say he walked through walls. It just says he appeared. See, the scriptures are inspired. The tradition is not. Okay. I, the scriptures, every word, every jot, every tittle, every letter, everything is inspired. It doesn't say that, for example, that Jesus walked through walls. People assume things, but it's not what the text says. And the reason it doesn't uh, say that is because God doesn't want it to be said. He just appeared there. So I'm just saying that I hold an extremely high view of scripture. It doesn't say that they're united with Paul. But it says that from his body were brought. It just says these things that he had were brought to the sick and evil spirits but left. How did they work? I don't know how it worked. I don't know how it worked. Well, that's a, that that's wasn't a very important question because it answers the question as to how something can work apart uh, from a person. It answers the question as to how a person can have divine being within them and that transfers. The divine being was transferred well, that, well, into aprons and handkerchiefs? Well, no, it was transferred to the person, and the fact that he held them, or he was using them, it carried with it. So, the handkerchiefs and aprons. Well, um, yeah, hold on, actually, that, that reminds me of another scripture now that I'm thinking about it. Give me one second. And that would be, hold on, give me a sec. Mm -hmm. no, not this one. Okay, yeah, and then um, Peter with his shadow. Well, I was I wasn't going to go with Peter's shadow. I was actually going to go with uh, Mark five twenty nine, five twenty eight. This is you know, of course, this is Christ. This is the Son of God. This is our God. If I just touch his garment, I'll get well. Immediately the flow of blood dried up. And the reason that that happened is because she was trusting in who he was. And many people were touching him in the crowd. When he says, who touched me in verse 30, she know. knows that power went out. What she was touching was that what's called the talit and the tzitzit. It was the 613 laws that were tied in not 
patterns at the hem of his garment. She reached down and touched that specifically. So she was committing an act of faith here and she was healed. That's all that's going you on. Think it would have mattered if she touched like the shoulder of the garment. Uh, the shoulder was up high. She reached down low and went for that talit. And so there was an act of faith that she was, was doing there. So would it be less of an act of faith if she touched the hem of his shoulder? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm just saying what the text said. Right. So well, that's, what the text trying, said. That's, that's good. I like precision. But the point I'm trying to make is that you would therefore assume that not just people, that not just Christ specifically, but even objects can be used in a salvific manner if an, our, our omnipresent God wants to do that. It doesn't say salvific, but uh, it says people were healed. And I, I can go with that, that certain objects were, yeah. But this does not answer the question how someone united with God can potentially be omnipresent and omniscient. Well, I wouldn't, I, as I've said, I said it's theoretically possible. The tradition does not teach so you're saying, well, you're, but, okay, I'm discussing this with you. You're saying that a person, a saint, mm -hmm. theoretically uh, can be omnipresent and omniscient. If God wills. If God wills, okay. Uh, and he would and, be, uh, independently, he would take a share of God's omnipresence or omniscience or whatever God wanted to give them. And could such a, a saint also be omnipotent? Because... Okay. Um, I don't know how that would work. Well, I, I'm just saying, because you say he's united, and the omnipresence and omniscience are the attributes of God's very character and nature. Right. And so, I mean, there's another omni, and there's yet another and another. Oh, yeah, but, no. Uh, a, a so, so if God wants these creatures to be omnipotent as well as omniscient and omnipresent, he could do that, right? Yeah, well, it's like the, the text of Scripture I was thinking of before I started even talking. Um, it was, I, I told you, I would... It, probably guessed i was a little bit nervous over the past couple of weeks right wow. uh, you know, i didn't know what to think and i'll be honest it's because i haven't really done public speaking in a very long time shoot i'm not even showing my face and the only thing that kept me going and you know in to be quite honest um was uh philippians 413 ironically now i realize that that's probably the strongest argument i have to answer your question, because he says, I can do all things, not some things, through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Okay, so then that verse to you, Philippians 4.13, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So that means that then a, a human being, a saint, can be omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. Uh, I'm saying potentially. whatever God wants him to be. And if God were to want that, it would happen, right? I would assume so. So, in other words, uh, you're saying that it's potential, and within your theological perspective, for people to become uh, gods. Paul talking there, not me. I didn't say gods. Okay. And so, all things through Him strengthen me. That all things, but you're understanding it to mean everything. everything. So yeah. then, can a person make himself not exist and then come back into existence? You mean like 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 popping from one room to another, like passing? No, no, out of existence, who doesn't exist anymore, and then back into existence, all things. I don't know. I've heard of things like biolocation. So I, in theory, I guess someone could do something like that. So, no. I'm, I'm trying I'm to show you that you're that, that actually the logic that you're saying is, is oh, impossible. I oh, I, hold on, hold on. You're talking about, in other words, like, okay, so you're talking existentialism sort of things. You're basically saying, like, could he cease to exist and then 
return himself to existence. Right, I'm could he do that? Your question, because I was under the impression, because I operate under the assumption that all living. Hold on one second, please. Sure. Okay, I'm gonna have to put that on hold. I will call back. That was that was special. Um, in any case, I uh, was trying to call earlier. Um, I would say that what appears to us to be non-existence, for example, when people die, simply means to go to another place. So when you said that at first, I assumed you meant, could a person jump to the abode of the dead and then come back? Yes, in theory they could. And it actually... Yeah, I was was specific, because you said all things. I'm trying to show you that all things doesn't mean every conceivable option. It's logically not possible. Option for what God wants. Is it do all things through God who strengthened me? Can, can a, a saint make a, a round square? The answer would be no. It's logically impossible. So he can't do that, which is logically impossible. We're talking about a. We're talking about a. We we believe in a, a God who came to Earth and came back from the dead. So what's possible and not possible are kind of a. We're that's kind of our wheelhouse, isn't it? I mean, to say that, you know, there's a round square can't exist. If God chooses for a round square to exist, he, it can. No, it can't. Well, of course Because it. God would never choose something that's logically impossible. God cannot lie, Titus 1, 2. There are certain things well, God cannot lying. do that violate his own essence and his own nature. Wait, and logic actually, the laws logic, logic actually exists because it's a property of the nature of God himself. He cannot do that which contradicts his own nature. There's no such thing as a round square. It's not logically possible. I'm just trying to show you that Philippians 4.13 doesn't mean every single thing you can conceive of. And you're just weaving too much heresy and false teachings and extra biblical things into this. You keep exceeding what's written. But you think it's okay to exceed what's written in the Word of God, don't you? Well, okay. Explain to me how the sun stands still. God, in his miraculous power, uh, did something where the earth either stopped rotating. the 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 sun can't stop moving. Yes, logically it can Wow. Logic has to do with, with propositions, with deduction, induction, abduction, conclusions, necess- necessity, and things like that. The miraculous is not a violation of logic. It's just simply the God doing what... natural law. It's just, no, it's not a violation, violation of natural law. It's, a, it's, a, it's um, a breaking of the boundaries of the natural world. That's one theory, but the other theory is that there are just laws that God has access to, which we don't, and he simply accesses those within the physical realm. There's no violation of anything. But he can't make a round square. Right, because it's against his own nature and his essence. God cannot sin. Wait, how is making a round square a sin? Okay, God cannot sin. That's another topic. He cannot violate his own nature. A round square is by definition mutually impossible. It's it's logically impossible. It cannot be. I still, where do you see in the scriptures about round squares? I'm just kidding. Um, God says, let us reason together. And I was at five. God is reasonable. He's logical. If then statements and things like that. We get into, this is beyond the purview of our discussion here, on the nature of logic itself and the transcendent laws of logic, which under good logical processes. The transcendent laws of logic, law of identity, law of non-contradiction, law of excluded middle, proper inference, various things like this are conceptual entities. Now, some people say they're mere propositions represented by conceptual entities, but they're conceptual entities that are statements, that are proclamations, or recognitions of things that exist, but they're not material, so they have to be conceptual. They're, they are um, 
propositional, conceptual, they're abstractions. I, and so therefore, since they're transcendent and they're immutable, it reflects a transcendent, immutable mind. This is I, just beyond the purview of our discussion here. Right. Well, um, uh, you know, I, I don't want, I, I certainly don't want geometry to be the hill I die on. Um, the point I'm trying to make here is that the laws as we understand them, something that you stated yourself just a few moments ago, that God operates with laws that we do not have access to. We do not know. Maybe. It may be that. Uh, uh, well, he does dwell in unapproachable light. We know that that's the case. That's his essence. 1 Timothy 6.16, yeah. yeah. The point I'm trying but, to make... That's because of the Father, incidentally, but go ahead. Well, I think that the whole Trinity, to some degree, exists in unapproachable light, but that's beside the point. The point I'm trying to make is that when he says all things in Christ in Philippians, and this is my point with Theos and so on and so forth, we do not know, and I don't, I, I defy you to show me, that he is referring to the laws of man as we understand them, or he's referring to the laws of God. I would say, based on experience, things like handkerchiefs, healing people, so on and so forth, that the laws of God are in play here, not the laws of man. Uh, the handkerchiefs. Okay. Can you connect the dots and show me how a saint then uh, is able to potentially be omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent? Okay. I will, I will state, because I have stated this a couple of times now, Matt, to be fair, I have no concept in the history or tradition of the church that omnipresent or omnipotent saints have ever existed. I am simply saying, whatever attribute God wishes to give to a saint, he will give to them. But you're saying it's potentially. Yeah, it's potential. So I, I got a question for you then. Is it okay to exceed what's written in Scripture? What do you mean by exceed? Go beyond what it says. I, I still don't know what you mean by exceed. Give me an example. Well, for one thing, it never says, for example, that a saint can hear all prayers simultaneously spoken and thought different languages all over the world. It doesn't say that in Scripture. Okay. And you can't even imply it out of Scripture. Nothing in Scripture even implies that. Uh, so you're going beyond what's written, and you're doing it because of your tradition. Okay. So you, your position is that it's okay to exceed what's written, right? Uh, well, if you it's such a weird way to say it. Exceed what is written. I don't quite understand what it means. And I, I, I realize you've explained it, and I'm, maybe I'm obtuse. But the point is, when you say exceed what is written, it kind of implies a contradiction of Scripture. And I don't believe we contradict Scripture. I believe we guard Scripture, we defend Scripture, we preserve its proper interpretation. So I, wouldn't, I don't know what you mean by exceed Scripture. If we, if we take the commentaries on the Scriptures from, you know, say, St. Chrysostom or St. Augustine, we consider that part of the church's tradition. But technically, they wrote volumes um, on the scripture that were not the scripture. Is that exceeding right. the scripture? Well, it would be if what they taught violated the scripture. So if one of the church fathers said that, uh, for example, uh, Jesus was not physically risen from the dead. I'm not saying any of them did. They wouldn't no, do no that, I don't think. No, would say that. Right. But if someone did that, that would obviously yeah. be false. It would yeah. be exceeding what's written. They would go, they'd contradict it. it they'd go heresy. beyond what is written in the Word of God? Well, one thing that I, I should point out is that if somebody said Jesus was, you know, not risen, say, for example, before the gospel was written, he'd still be going to hell. He'd still be a heretic. He, and he would technically not be exceeding what is written because it wasn't written yet. 
Well, it was written in the Old Testament, and um, you know, and so he would have had the scriptures, which are prophesied the physical resurrection of Christ and his deity and incarnation and all that kind of but stuff. Jews believe they, they they made up a story if we remember the gospel. And well, they, we're talking about the scriptures, but if people believe it or not, well, no, the issue is whether the scriptures say. The script, no, I'm talking about the scriptures. I'm saying that after you, the resurrection, the uh, the party of the scribes and Pharisees they went and they paid off the Roman guard to say that the body was stolen. So I'm, I'm, I am still within, speaking within the bound of the scriptures. My point is that contemporaneously with those events, had someone said that, they would not have been exceeding the scriptures, but they still would have been a hell-bound heretic and a liar. Um, you mean if someone had said that Jesus did not physically rise, they would? People said that because the gospel records them. Right. But we're talking about what's exceeding the scripture, that we are not to exceed what is written. So that we don't become arrogant. Where is the principle of not exceeding? Maybe that. Maybe if you could point that out in scripture, it would help me. Well, I'm sorry. What? If you could point out where it talks about exceeding scripture in scripture, that might help. First uh, Corinthians four six. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sake, so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that none of you will become arrogant in behalf of one another. Uh, I guess what. Uh, hold on, can I? What's the verse again? I'm, I like. I'm a visual. First Corinthians four six. I put it in the text in the chat room there, if you can see it. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself to and to Apollos for your sake, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. For who maketh thee to differ one from another? And what hast thou that that is not what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if that. Now we didst receive it. Why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Okay, now you are full, now you are rich, you reigned as kings without us, and I would to God you did reign that we might reign with you. For I think that God has sent forth us the apostles last, as they were appointed to death, for he made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ, we are weak, and you are strong. You're honorable, but we are despised. I, I'm I'm really confused as to the, I'm looking for the whole exegesis about you know kind of figuring out what the succeeding scripture means. It's interesting, and I don't think we do it, but I I'm still not I I feel like because it doesn't it's not saying it says that you might learn not to think of of men above that which is written. Well, okay, well then don't do that. But that's not exceeding scripture. That's talking about you know exceeding men. Or esteeming men. It's actually an idiom, meuper ha gekraptai. What it means is uh, not above what is written. Yeah, so uh, that nobody is to go above what's written. Right, in other words, Jesus himself quoted the word of God. He's God in flesh, and he could have rebuked anybody and did it. He quoted scripture. Paul so quoted scripture. And the devil did too, because he recognized what he wanted to do with putting scripture was trying to set God against God by his own word. Right. So Satan was the one who was trying to misrepresent and alter the interpretation of something in order to get Christ to do and say something he wasn't saying to begin with. He was trying to get God to contradict himself. Yeah, and that can't happen. But this phrase here, you know, not to exceed what's written, not to go beyond what is written in the word of God. The word of God is our standard. Even Christ affirmed the sufficiency of scripture and he denounced a lot of aspects of tradition i'm curious as to nullification where, of it. this doesn't actually talk about the sufficiency of scripture but this is talking about a specific item and i'm not I, i'm not saying that he's saying don't exceed the authority that he, i disagree with you that he's saying don't exceed the authority of what is written on this item i but he's talking about something specific and he's making he talks about it in depth 
It doesn't say the authority what's written. It says above what is written. Literally, it's just an expression that you might not think of men above what is written, beyond what is written, exceeding what is written. Well, it, he's talking more so about the way people are supposed to behave. I mean, that's the entire chapter. Let, so, let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet I am he not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will bring both to light the hidden things of darkness, and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then every man shall have praise of God. And so and the point I'm trying to make is, he clearly encountered, if I am assuming the context correctly, he clearly encountered that in the church of the Corinthians, that the leaders had become puffed up. And he was telling them that they had gone against what is written. Where was, what's he talking about what is written? That would be the Old Testament. Okay. So not to exceed even what's written in the Old Testament. And Can yeah. you show me this stuff about people hearing everybody's prayers in We've already gone over this. You can't tell me. It's just not there. I think think we're, we're again, confusing theoretical possibilities with what the tradition of the church says. Because you're asking me, theoretically, can God grant these omnis to a person, to a saint? I'm saying theoretically, yes. But I've also said practically, no, that has not happened. I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, let's proscribe God. I don't want to, you know, like, confine him. Yeah, but you head. said that the saints could do this. Well, that I'm they could hear all prayers simultaneously. And you said, them. you said because they're united. I'm just following your logic. Right. And then, okay. so then you know, if you were a bishop, if you were a bishop, well, then would this become sacred tradition where now we can become omnipotent and or omnipresent? Well, is it possible? Saints. They're they're given the they're given the, the rules by the apostles, and they've been given the rules. No, no, no. You mean Paul the Apostle gave your bishop in um, New Jersey, I think it was? Gave him? Paul gave it to him? Paul uh, personally gave it to him? Uh, Paul did not. No, it's been 2,000 years since then. So, um, he, so Paul did not give it to him. The no, Apostles Paul did not it. give it to him. Paul gave it to another person. He gave it to another person, another person, another person, another right. person. That's how, that's how succession works. So the thousands, probably hundreds, you know, I don't know, 500, whatever. Who knows? But I mean, hundreds, right? Hundreds of people. Okay. And this is disseminated. This tradition is disseminated. How far and wide? Uh, is it only among the the Eastern Orthodox? Uh, well, no. It was used to be. I mean, the West used to be Orthodox. You know, I mean, one of the things that I thought was interesting when I started uh, when I started trying to understand your position, um, and I started reading uh, about the history of the Reformation. Um, I got, you know, and I'm not going to digress too much here, but uh, I started reading, uh, you know, Luther's uh, open letter to the German nation. And in it, I frankly, except for a few things, I agree with 95% of it because, you know, a lot of the things that he was complaining about in the West were things that after the schism of 1054, during the investiture controversy, Hildebrand, who was Pope Gregory VII, effectively transformed radically the church in the West, and made it a heavier yoke than it ever meant to be. So when Luther is complaining about, uh, say, for example, the butter letters, 
I know for, personally, as a Western right Orthodox Christian, precisely what fast Luther was using and why he was complaining about it. Because he was complaining that effectively the popes were giving the rich the ability to fast, to not fast from dairy. When you're supposed to be fasting from dairy during Great Lent and so on and so forth. So there was, even Luther was aware of Western tradition then. The point I'm trying to make is, yes, there was tradition in the West, but after the 11th century, with what we call the investiture controversy, the bishops of the West were effectively killed off by the party of the Hildebrandites, and it was the religion was replaced. There were thousands of married priests, happily married priests in the West, and so on and so forth, and the bishops were supportive. Those bishops were removed. Those priests were removed. The entire thing was rewritten. This is one of the things that blew my mind. I was uh, listening to you, um, and I'm digressing again. I was listening to your debate with uh, Bob Genes, and at one point he's talking about the pedigree, and he's like, you know, the pedigree, and and uh, you know, if if there had been some guy who just came up and made a religion and took it over, there literally was. I'm the guy telling you this. Look it up, Gregory the Seventh Hildebrand. Look up Clement the Third. He was the actual last real pope of the West. Tried to make peace with the Orthodox. They took it off. They started going for the crusade, the, the Hildebrandite party, and they literally rewrote the church in the West. So ultimately, what caused the Reformation was the abuses that Rome created in the 11th century. And that was the fuel, I would say, for the fire. And then um, Luther read scripture. Yeah, and, he did. And then found out what the Bible really teaches, went, went against what they're saying. So, well, look, I've, I've been grilling you for a while. Sure. Uh, do you want to grill me? I mean, just trying to be fair, do you want to fire questions I, at me? I mean, if, I, if you well, are, I, you're happy. From my perspective, I'm in the church, so it's my job to make sure that you have all your questions answered. No matter you, how you, abhorrent they might appear at first glance. Well, let, let's talk about, uh, I don't know, I mean, I, I have questions, but... Go for uh, it. Okay. So, do you have... What do you have to do to get your sins forgiven? Uh, well, first, you should believe and be baptized. Okay, so to get your sins forgiven, you have to believe, be baptized. Okay. Anything else? Uh, that depends on how long you live. Normal person, 20 years after belief, let's just say. Okay. okay. So a normal person, you have to avoid sin. If you avoid can avoid sin. Okay. Anything else? Confess your sin. Confess your sin. Anything else? Uh, no, no, the, 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 no. Christ forgives you. That's that's. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, in terms of you're talking about, you said something about sin, so I was answering that. So are these things necessary for salvation? Well, absolutely. You know, you can't go to heaven with sin. That's when the people drag you down the toilet. So I would say the belief is necessary, um, but you're saying that if ba baptism is uh, listed here, then therefore you, it's necessary to be baptized. I'm assuming in water. Um, that, and you, that's you, a good assumption. Actually, that yeah. was one thing that disturbed me in a discussion I did see that you had, that I was a little bothered by something you said that was concerned. Sure. Uh, you said it was possible that Christ was baptized by sprinkling. Yes. That I have never heard that. That's I think it's literally, that's 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 insane. That's, I'm like, you've been talking to too many papists. That was my thinking. I'm like, no, no, that's not right. Baptisane means immerse. We, <laughs> we know that. No, so, it doesn't necessarily. Well, it did in that context. No, it doesn't necessarily. You think he was sprinkled? You really think that? Yeah, the reason Jesus was baptized, according to Matthew 3.15, was to fulfill all righteousness. So Where he gives the reason. 
he gives the reason why he's baptized to fulfill fulfill what old testament but where was well he baptized? i'm sorry where was he baptized in the river in the jordan yeah yeah so you think he got in the jordan and then john the baptist sprinkled stuff on it yes with my opinion yes i can give you a reason why if you want sure from scripture mm -hmm. so if he was to fulfill the scriptures Hold on, I'm looking at my wife, making sure she's okay. You okay, hon? All right. Um, to fulfill Scripture means the Old Testament. Now, Jesus did say in John 5, 39, you search the Scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, but it is these that bear witness of me. So the Old Testament's about him. Now, we know that he's a priest after the Order of Melchizedek. Hebrews 5, 6, and 7 talks about this. Well, coincidentally, if he was to fulfill Scripture at his baptism, What's really interesting is that it looks like he was uh, fulfilling the requirements for entering into the priesthood. Because if you go to Leviticus chapter 8, Numbers chapter 4, and Exodus 29, you'll see that, and I have an article written on this with the references there, that uh, in order for, to enter into the priesthood, a man had to be 30 years of age. Jesus was 30. He had to have anoint, uh, oil anointing uh, on him, and that represents the Holy Spirit, 1 John 2, 27. He had to have a verbal blessing given, uh, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, and he had to have water sprinkled on him. That's okay. uh, Numbers 8, 7. And so he had to. And the word baptism, um, which is really interesting because in Hebrews 9, 10, the word there, if you were to go, if you were to, go to, you just look it up, Hebrews 9, 10, look, do a little bit of research. The word washings there is the Greek word baptismas. Mm -hmm. Baptismas. Yeah, but and, with a sprinkle. And if you read the context of what it's saying, it's talking about sprinkling in okay. the context. Just, I mean, you can do your homework later. If you want, we can do it right now. I'll, I, I, I can I, read it I, to you. I'd kind, of, I'd kind of prefer to do it right now because I'm going to sure. be honest. I'm, sure. To be totally honest, uh, Matt, I think you're demonstrating exactly why I have a problem with using Scripture alone. We know, we have no doubt whatsoever, that Christ was baptized by immersion in the River Jordan. The River Jordan literally changes direction on the feast of the on the feast of the baptism of our Lord. I, what you're saying is kind of like you're making you're pointing out things necessities for the priesthood, so on and so forth. But if you think he was sprinkled, you missed the point. And so the the biblical evidence is that uh, the, in order to enter the priesthood, a man had to be sprinkled. That's what it says. I'm just telling you what it says. So you have to, um, uh, you know, just accept that. I mean, I'll read the verse to you in Numbers 8, 7, all right? Uh, this isn't proof, but it's, you know, such as said, it was a scripture. was baptized by John the Baptist. After all, it was John the Baptist. I didn't, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But look, uh, this is, thus you shall do for them for their cleansing. Sprinkle purifying water on them and let them use a razor over their whole body. Wash your clothes. They shall be clean, blah, blah, blah. So he, what, what Matthew did is represent it looks like by extracting certain things out of the old testament requirements and he related them to christ and the the verbal blessing he's showing his priesthood work now the word baptizo okay some people just require that it means immersion not necessarily uh this is uh you know hebrews 9 10 since they relate only to food and drink and various washings that's the word baptismus, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater, more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, as that is to say, not of his creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, 
He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, etc., etc. Now, it's interesting that the word washings here is referring to the Old Testament things. And the Old Testament things were sprinklings. You can do the homework later if you want. Well, I have no problem with pointing with agreeing with you that Old Testament sprinkling was used. However, there has just never been in the history of the church the idea you can check the first century, second century, third century, because baptism was talked about since the time of the apostles, and it has always been understood as a full immersion in the water. That's not so what I understand. Point. And I don't I don't care if they did or didn't. It doesn't matter right. to me. Well, I mean, but we do. That's my point. We, and it's important to us because it's not inspired. Well, how do you know? Because the only thing stated to be inspired, Second Timothy three sixteen, is the word of God. Why is it that the word is inspired? But, well, because the question. word you're reflects talking. the character of God. Okay, great. So how that is... That tradition does not. Well, I'm curious as to how it is that a Greek-speaking church in the first century and the second and the third and the fourth, all the way down from the beginning, read this word in Greek and saw immersion. Well, and now, here's how they miss it. I'm just curious because... Uh, that that's the one thing that I don't get. It's the it's a great theoretical argument. I'm not saying it doesn't sound good. It does, but what it doesn't sound like is what happened. So uh, you said it does sound good because of scripture. So great. let me give a principle for you here that might be worth looking at is the church, even while the apostles were around, was moving into apostasy, which is why. The epistles are written to correct, correct error. So without the apostles being around, how do you think the church is going to do? Particularly in a time of persecution and scattering. Well, I think that we're still in those days. So then if they were in error while the apostles were there and Christ had to, and Christ had the apostles write scripture to correct those error, once the apostles are gone, then you're saying no more error crept in, everything was fine? Oh, absolutely not. As a matter of fact, that's why we have words like homoousis. And we have, you know, we have like words like the Trinity. Okay. You know the point I'm trying to make? Because these are these, yeah, these I got you. of what was there, the original teaching. Yeah, and except that scripture. Take, for example, the apostolic canons written by the, can by the apostles and those rules that are still used in orthodoxy today. So the question becomes, you know, I'm saying the scripture is part of it. St. Irenaeus, for example, defines it with the creed, the scriptures, and the apostolic succession working together. You can't have one without the other. So the point is... Go ahead. That's what you say. But, you know, you, when, you appeal, when you appeal to the, the church fathers, uh, there's a problem because the church fathers often contradict each other. I know. Okay. So... I, uh, am, I answered that. Um, you see, when the church fathers contradict each other, which is actually much rarer than you would think, um, when they that's Not more common than you'd think. What? Uh, no, no. I looked actually. At, I looked actually at your your church fathers section, mm -hmm. and I noticed that even some of the church fathers you noted actually taught exactly the opposite of what you said in other passages. But that's not exactly, and they even contradict themselves exactly. 
But the point, they weren't talking against themselves. It said if you put everything in context, they had a consistent teaching. But what I'm trying to say is that the fathers in general have a consistent teaching. And when they disagree, as explained in the commonatory, which I mentioned earlier from St. Vincent of Florence, you go by what the ancients approved of and what, you don't go further than what was already agreed upon. And you leave that question out. Okay. Then when you deal, so when you deal with heresy, you know it's heresy. Otherwise, we just assume everyone's disagreement. St. Irenaeus, for example, I saw someone talking about someone, uh, when I was re researching, someone had said, St. Irenaeus taught that our Lord was 50. But he didn't. He said, I think our Lord's 50, and he made a, a bunch of arguments for it, and he tried to argue that Christ looked old, and then he tried to say, well, in the scriptures, they said, you're not even 40 years old yet. Why would he, why would he, you know, he say that if, you know, he was uh, 33? So the point is, you know, but he was obviously wrong because he was like, and all those people who think that Ptolemy's right and that Jesus died would live till thirty-three, they're they're wrong. He had to be fifty. Well, Saint Irenaeus was wrong, and that's why his view on that didn't quite survive, even though a lot of his other views, which were really good, did. Um, could we get back to the issue of the salvation because you said belief, which yeah. I'm, I agree because the scriptures clearly teach that. Okay. Baptism, which we could debate for a while, but uh, I'm concerned about this one avoid sin. Mm -hmm. So you have to avoid sin in order to be saved. Yeah. Okay. Uh, have you sinned today? Probably. <laughs> I'm glad you affirmed that because if you ask me the same thing, I say definitely. Okay, good, good. Yeah. So I'm very afraid if you didn't. Oh no, trust me. If you hung around with me, it would not take very long for you to say that guy's a sinner. Yeah, but it would, well, it would take seconds. someone else to tell me first, and then I have to be like, oh, because I don't usually notice. I'm kind of obtuse that way. Well, don't, trust me, my friends, they know me. I'm a sinner. So, uh, yet, uh, so you did not avoid sin today. So you lost your salvation. Well, uh, to some degree, I hope my sins weren't uh, that bad, but I'm going to have to confess my sins. So you haven't confessed them yet. Uh, no, I tried. That's actually why the bishop was calling back. So, oh, okay. So, if you have to confess them, mm -hmm. which is First John one nine, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's great. So, you've not confessed them yet. So, are you presently then in a state of of being lost? That's a good question because now I've just actually confessed that I have sin. I haven't confessed what the sins are. Um, but if I were to do that, I mean, in theory, I could do that on the show. I wouldn't do that because that's embarrassing. And that's why public confession eventually disappeared. Um, but, uh, you know, the point is, you know, confess your sins to one another. You, you can confess to one another if you have to. Um, it's just a question of the situation. The, nor the normative method is to go to a priest, or in my case, the bishop, because, you know, I'm lucky that way. Um, and, uh, just, uh. Confess your sins. So are you in presently, because you have sinned and haven't confessed it and dealt with it yet, are you presently in a state of salvation or forgiveness well, or not? Well, do you make distinction? I don't know if you make distinction between uh, sins, like sins that are more deadly and sins that are not. I don't think I did any deadly sins. Well, there are sins that are worse than others, absolutely. Well, yeah, the scripture just makes that distinction that there is a sin that is deadly. That's why I said right. that. Yeah. So the point I'm trying to make, I don't think I did any deadly sins. I'm pretty. You probably didn't do any deadly sins today, I don't think. I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm not. I don't have a very high opinion of myself. I am there. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, I'm. I, I'm a pretty proud guy, unfortunately, and that's one of my my big sins. One of the top seven. Well, and you and I can shake hands on that one. Not that I'm accusing you, but I'm guilty of that myself. Uh, but the thing is, if you have to avoid sin in order to be saved, and you didn't avoid sin today, then logically you're not saved. Not right now. No. Okay. You neither. So then. 
that, that's your position, not mine. So okay. then, so then, uh, so then you're you're admitting right now that you've not done enough good to keep yourself saved. Yeah, that's the purpose of doing good to begin with. Okay, so you keep your salvation by how good you are. You keep your salvation by doing good and avoiding sin. Okay. Um, then why does the Bible say a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law? Romans 3.28 and Romans 4.5. For the one who does not work but believes, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. Well, in the first case, uh, you're not saved by works of the law. No one is saved by works of the law, and we don't believe that. Because the works of the law in, in in, that are being referenced there are the works of the law in the Old Testament. And we are released from that. We don't believe that at all. But works aren't, if you're assuming that works are saving me, they're not. What I'm saying, and the reason I phrase it the way I did, is I'm actually quoting St. Mark the Ascetic in the 4th century. And what he said when somebody asked, what is the purpose of good works? He said the purpose of good works is to avoid sin. In other words, if you fill your life with good works, as St. As Saint Paul says in Romans, you won't sin. But we don't do that. We sin. Because it's... Well, I, I agree. As long as you're doing good, you're not going to be sinning. But uh, the issue is, though, that you're admitting right now you're in a state of damnation. Um, well, I don't know that I'm in a state of damnation. I know that your, I'm... Your sins aren't forgiven. You, you, well, you're not saved. Sins. Right now, I've got two on my list. I confess pretty often. You know, I mean, so... Okay. Maybe, maybe but, before, because I did get into an argument today, but that was really due to stress. Well, you know, it, I, I'm talking about generically. You know, you've sinned, I've sinned. You know, these particulars aren't really the well, issue. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Yeah, Romans 3.23. But the thing is that, um, you know, you uh, you said you haven't confessed your sins. So you're in a state of, uh, right now where your sins are not forgiven. Well, I, I confessed my sins that I have sins now. So I've started that process. Plus, on top of that, I'm also busy, and I think I'm doing a good work by being here. So I'm hoping that, right. that, you know, hopefully I don't get hit by a car from the attic here. But, you know, if that happens, then I guess I'm doomed. But I don't think they were deadly sins. So I'll probably make it out of the toll houses. He can't. Okay, so, so, yeah. so when the Bible says that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law, you mean that's just the Mosaic law? Right. So that Mosaic law includes Deuteronomy 6, 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and Leviticus 19, 18, love your neighbors yourself, which Jesus reiterated as the greatest of the commandments in right. Matthew okay. 22, 37, and 39, respectively. So we're not to do those things either? That's not what he's talking about? But you always have to do those things. That's the essence of the gospel. But you said that's that Romans 3, 28, we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. That would logically mean apart from loving God and apart from loving your neighbor. But the problem with your argument is that you're basically saying that you're basically saying because Christ quoted the greatest two commandments, because that was the context of the question, which is the greatest commandment. You're basically saying that, therefore, we have all 619 or whatever commandments of the Old Testament to follow. And that's not true. The whole point of him pointing to the two greatest commandments was to say this is what matters. So is sin breaking the law of God? Uh, yeah. Well, sin First is John 3, mark, literally, but... Yeah, First yeah, John 3, 4. Sin is breaking the law of God. It's, it's lawlessness. So you lose your salvation by breaking the law of God. Yeah. Right. Okay, do you keep your salvation by keeping the law of God? Sure. So your salvation is dependent upon your performance and your works? Uh, I don't know that I'd go that far. Your salvation depends upon maintaining the struggle. Would you agree, then, that uh, you're saved by grace through faith after all you can do? Yeah. 
because that's the only yeah. thing that makes the works work. Yeah, I just quoted the Book of Mormon, Second Nephi twenty five twenty three. Well, that's great. Um, you know, I don't. I, I'm sure that you could probably find Max Licato saying that too. That doesn't matter if the thing is right, regardless of what who says it. Yeah, Mormons teach that God came from another planet and they to earn your salvation. And the greatest pernicious doctrine instituted by Satan, the Mormon eldership teaches the apostle. Um, yeah. Okay, but that's is, not the Orthodox teaching, so why do I care? Uh, well, they just teach that uh, justification by faith alone in Christ alone has worked the doctrine of evil, that you have to keep works and, and do good things well, in order to keep yourself right with God. I'm just saying it's the same thing. Well, no, no, no. Well, you, you, I wanna, well that's, that's actually a good point, because the question of justification by faith alone is an interesting, is an interesting point. Quiz I mean, me, then. Sure. Um, so you believe that then a person who does, you know, who does believe, and then does all horrible, like all sorts of horrible things. Jeffrey Dahmer, for example, um, you know, he was supposedly believed before he, you know, was killed in prison. My question is, what if, you know, again, a person who does evil, horrible things and claims to believe in God? First uh, John 2, 4, if you say you know him and do not keep his commandments, the truth is not in you and you're a liar. Well, what would that be? I mean, what commandments would those be? Those are works. Loving God, loving your neighbor. Oh, okay. So if you're doing those things, does that mean you're in a workspace system? Of course not. Okay, so by what cause do you condemn me? Uh, you're the one saying you keep your salvation by your abiding by the law of God. The commandments of God that you just mentioned. Now, you asked me about Dahmer or people like that who are justified well, by saying, faith, and then they do evil things. I quoted you First John 2, 4. Well, saying justification by faith alone. Yeah, faith alone is what justifies us before God. Yes, but you have to keep that faith, demonstrate that faith, and live that faith. Why? So God can figure out if you really have faith or not? No, so you could. I already know I have faith. I don't have to keep doing anything to prove it. Well, but my view would be that if you're not in the church, for example, it's it's imperfect. It's not the same. Uh, well, I'm not in your particular traditional man-centered false church. I mean, the true church. What kind of Christian church isn't man-centered? God came to save man. The true church is supposed to be Christ-centered and preaching Christ crucified and looking to Christ and his work and his blood that shed and justification by faith without the works of the law. That's what the true church is supposed to be doing. Now, I, this is one of the things that I thought was very interesting because up until probably the 18th century, uh, about half of the churches that were Bible-believing didn't have a cross in them to preach the cross. They didn't. They considered it wrong, like the Jehovah's Witnesses. They don't have to have a physical cross in order to preach the cross. It's irrelevant. So you, well, you have a cross behind you. It's a physical cross. Why? Yeah. Because someone sent it to me, and it's got a great verse on it, which I think is deadly to your position. Colossians two fourteen. That's a great verse. I just left it there and haven't moved it since. Let's when I was on uh, an anti-Islam TV show. What's that? Well, I'm saying, it, um, I said, if it's devastating to my position, then I gotta know. <coughs> handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Okay? So what's the handwriting of ordinances that Jesus canceled or took away at the cross? Look at the previous words. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, have you, quickened to get, have you quickened together with him, having forgiven you your, your trespasses? Oh, wait, let's go to 12. Buried with him in baptism, wherein ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who had raised him from the dead. 
how do they bury people in baptism? Um, there's different forms of uh, burial. Some people can bury above ground, some below ground. In, well, they bury them in water. It's immersion. Oh, that's what you're saying. Okay. You said how they bury. But go on. Okay. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Having lived he, together with him, right. with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. All trespasses. Yeah. Trespasses, yeah. believe that. Um, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, trying, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you <coughs> or in drink, or in respect of a holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. But how does that demolish my position? Okay, I'll show you. Um, in verse 14, um, it says that the handwriting of ordinances, we use the King James, uh, was taken out of the way, nailing it to the cross. So when was the handwriting of ordinances um, well, taken? What are you talking about? Well, one, one question at that. When was the handwriting of ordinances taken away? When it was nailed to the cross. Amen. So that's talking about Jesus and the whole bit on the cross, right? Right. Well, what's the ordinances? That's the next question. What is the handwriting of ordinances? Well, I want to know how you interpret that. Well, I happen to know this verse, and uh, there's the Greek word, and I'm going to show off now. I'm going to totally show off and use a word I don't get to use very often. Hapax legomena. It's a fancy word, and it means a word that occurs in once in a body of text. The original word here we have in, in the King James is three words, handwriting of ordinances. In Greek, it's just one word, kerographon. Uh, uh, that's why that word is, that's what's back there like that um, in Greek, kerographon. And it's really an interesting word. And what it means, I did a lot of research on it, it means a handwritten IOU of legal indebtedness. Okay. And it's uh, kerographon. So blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. The now that's what the King James says. Let's look at the I like the NASB. The excuse me, the NASB says certificate of debt. The ESV so, wait a minute, I'm gonna do do that. Let's do it this way. Hold on. All I gotta do is put my comparison thing in. Colossians two fourteen. And the ASV nineteen oh one says uh uh, blotted out the bond written in ordinances, mm -hmm. the ESV, the record of debt, the Geneva handwriting of ordinances, the NESB, uh, certificate of debt, the NIV, legal indebtedness, the New King James, handwriting of requirements. So it's a tough one to translate. And it really is because, oh, okay. because chirographon, you know, it's just a tough one to translate. And, um, so when I look, I'll just tell you what I'm doing right now, uh, the certificate of debt. I'm doing, okay, darn it. Hold on. There it is, chirographon. I'm looking at a dictionary. Handwritten statement, especially a record of financial accounts, similar in meaning to grama account. It goes on. Account, record of debts. He canceled the record of our debts. That's what? one lexicon that says that. Uh, right, but uh, that still doesn't answer what it is. Exactly. And I would uh, offer that there's two things that could be our sin debt or the old testament law i don't i don't honestly don't know of anything else it could be well i was i was gonna go with the old testament law but that's been okay let's go with the old testament law mm -hmm. i don't have any problem with that uh if the old testament law is what's canceled at the cross taken out of the way then there's a problem and the problem is because of romans 5 13 
For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. If the Old Testament law was canceled at the cross, then there is no way sin can be imputed to anybody. Eh? Give me just one second, because just for the, because I, I don't want to get the church teaching wrong and get into another okay. one, theoretical church question. teaching. Okay. So I just, yeah, I just jumped onto, uh, you know, uh, St. John Chrysostom's commentary on Colossians and went to uh, 114. So let the, I mean, let's uh, That's fair. do 14. And we're going to have to start wrapping this up. Maybe okay. continue this another time, but yeah. Uh, okay, so would it be okay if I did that? If I just yeah, I don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's fair. Yeah, finish it. Fine. Finish the uh, so let's see here. Let's see. It's going to take longer than the five minutes we have left. Why don't you just, you know, seriously, Colossians two fourteen. It is a fascinating verse, and um, one of my favorites in the entire Bible. Check it out. We can talk another time. All right, here it is. Here we go. Having forgiven us, he says, all our trespasses, those which produce that deadness. What then? Did he allow them to remain? No, he even wiped them out. He did not scratch them merely so that they could not they could not be seen. In, quote, doctrines, ordinances, he saith, what doctrines? The faith. It is enough to believe. He has not set works against works, but works against faith. And what next? Blotting out is an advance upon remission. Again, he said, and hath taken it out of the way. Not yet even so did he preserve it, but rent it even asunder by nailing it to his cross. Having put off from himself the principalities of the powers, he made a show of them opening, openly triumphing over them in it. Nowhere has he spoken so lofty a strange, a strain. Seest thou how great his earnestness that the bond should be done away? To wit, we were all under sin and punishment. He himself, through suffering punishment, did away with both the sin and the punishment as he was punished on the cross. To the cross, then he affixed it, as having power. He tore it asunder. What bond? He means either that which they said to Moses, namely, all that God had said we will do and be obedient, Exodus 24.3, or if not that this, that we owe to God obedience, or if not this, he means that the devil held possession of it, the bond which God made for Adam, saying, in the day that thou eatest of the tree, thou shalt die. Genesis 2.17. This bond then the devil held in his possession. And Christ did not give it to us, but himself tore it in two. The action of one who remits joyfully. Um, so I, I basically, I think that the, St. John is basically arguing that that's the main, what this is, it's talking about the bond of sin. Okay, so sin. So he can't, because it says in verse 13, having forgiven us all our transgressions, right? Trespasses, that's another word for sin. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. Yeah. We, when you break the law, you've sinned. So this is all canceled at the cross, right? Yeah. Did he cancel it for everybody who ever lived? Yeah. Well, everybody who believes on him. Didn't say that. It says. Well, that, that's from other passages. We know that, obviously, not everyone. He, he died for everyone. So he. Wait a minute. So he only canceled their sin debt no, we know for those who God, believe? God wills all men to be saved. But first John two four, but that's a, that's a context. But here, look. So this verse right here, are you saying that um, that he canceled all of their sins? No, he canceled all of the debt. Okay, all the debt, sin debt, because sin is breaking is debt. Yeah. Jesus says, "Our Father heart in heaven." In Matthew six twelve, forgive us our debts, and Luke eleven four, yeah. forgive us our sins. So sin is equated to debt. Correct. The sin's breaking the law of God. Sure. Okay, so forgiven us our trespasses, our sin debt, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, uh, law, sin debt. It's all taken care of at the cross, right? Sure. Can you be held responsible for a sin debt that doesn't exist anymore because it's been canceled? No. So then. Did Jesus bear the sin of everybody who ever lived? Yeah. 
Did he cancel the sin debt for everybody who ever lived? That's up to them. No, it's not up to them. He either canceled it on the cross or he did not cancel it on the cross. That's what the verse says. Okay, but what you're effectively, if you follow that to its logical conclusion, then nobody has to believe to begin with. Nope. No, I didn't say that. Belief is justification. This is different than the removal of our sin. Our, the removal no, of our sin occurred by you, Christ. If you're justified or not, if it's been remo- if all debt is removed from the cross. No. Then, uh, Position I hold to is that on the cross, Jesus only canceled the sin debt for the elect, the ones given to him by the Father. Then God later on infallibly brings them into the faith by granting that they believe Philippians 129. So that they're then justified. The removal of sin, the sin that occurred at the cross, and the imputation of righteousness occurs upon our faith, which is justification. Okay, so people who don't believe, or as we'll say, not elect, is their sin debt canceled? No, otherwise they'd be going to heaven, because if their sins are canceled, okay. they can't then, go to hell. Then your original question is answered, which was, did, was all the sin debt canceled on the cross? You said yes. I say no. The sin debt was only canceled for the elect, not everybody who ever lived. I said for the intent that God wills all men to be saved. I did not say all men will be saved. It's a different verse. It's a different verse altogether. We could discuss how God uses the word all in regard to people, in regard to salvation. But we do agree here, just so we understand each other, that God willed for all people, but that all people are not saved. Because we don't have time... I can, if you want to do this another time, I'll show you how he uses the word all in regard to salvation. I'll show you that the all is not everybody. Yeah, I know it. But we know that in the church. We we know that already. He wants all to be saved. I believe the all is only the left, but that's off topic. Colossians 2.14 here, what it's saying here is that he, he, uh, forgave us all our trans- our trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. If that legal sin debt is canceled at the cross, it's not canceled when you believe. No, it's, it's canceled at the cross. Well, okay, we're talking about that. Now we're talking about time. But in the ultimate, the ultimate thing is it's canceled for the people who believe. It's not canceled for the people who don't believe. This is so this it was canceled only for the believers at the cross. Let's yeah, the atonement. Right. Welcome well, to Calvinism. That's that's not Calvinism. <laughs> we pre Calvinism. I, I'm pretty sure we invented that before Calvin. Uh. Well, you don't adhere well, to it. That's, we that's have a it. Point he thinks he We're out of time, though. Yeah. All right. Well, sorry. Okay. Didn't mean to take up so much time. No, this is fine. I had a good discussion. You were polite and hope I was polite enough. I think you were very polite. Oh, thank you. I could be insulting later if you want to make up for it. That's fine. That's fine. We'll just call each other heretics all day. It'll be good. Well, you see, my concern for you is is heartfelt and that I believe you're in a state of damnation and that you've been deceived. And I don't mean it to be insulting. I mean it to be a, a very loving, compassionate way. My heart just aches for you. I, I, I'll tell you, I feel that as you are outside the church, you are outside the gate of salvation. I feel mm-hmm. the same way. All right. So you're trying to get me saved by joining That's your right. church. I'm trying to get you to save by trusting in Christ. Well, the church is the body of Christ, so I'm trying to get you in there. Oh, but you said it was, uh, you know, had to have a bishop in it and stuff like that. It does. So see the different usages. Here different we go again. We're gonna have to... Different members of the body. Oh, there's a whole bunch of stuff we could talk about. <laughs> they have apostolic authority. That's a whole other topic. Yep. You need it. You need it. But we're going to, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Yeah, you don't have it. And I can show you don't. But that's I, another I, topic. I, I, okay. we, we, we'll do that next time. Can you hear me? Okay. All right. Yeah. 
my mic, my uh, microphone just went, so this won't sound too good to end. But um, <laughs> I was trying. Good discussion. To... Yeah. So 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 Joseph, there's good discussion, uh, and I think that it was helpful in a lot of ways. And and you can always come back. There's nothing saying you can't come back and continue the discussion. Um, I, I want to take else talk first, maybe like a one yeah, Well, we we expected that this was going to take a majority of the time. There was someone in here, Brian earlier who I was going to add in, but he, he dropped out a while ago, so we couldn't add him in. Uh, real quick, I have I just have one question, kind of a yes or no. Sure. Um, and uh, I like those. Do, do you believe that, like, Matt and I would have to be members of the Orthodox Church to be saved? I would believe that that is the way that was set up in the Scriptures. And even though there were people who did before the formation of the church, uh, during the gospel, they did speak in Christ's name, and Christ, and our Lord said, you know, he, those who are not against us are for us. Um, but I would say that the normative way would be, yeah, you'd have to join the church. Okay. All right. And, and yeah, so, I mean... So and I, I invite you to. I'm not trying to, like, scare you or anything. Yeah, no, no. And I, I'm going to invite you to something in a moment. But here, here's the thing. For folks who are listening, I want to encourage you right now on whatever phone you have... Um, just get get whatever podcast app you have and download um, or subscribe to, I should say, the um, Apologetics Live podcast. This, what you hear right now, will become a podcast um, that we have. And so that's something that we want to encourage you guys to be uh, to do. Now, with that, um, I would I would say this. Uh, and and we'll, we're going to end up closing out. But um, before I be, close out, uh, somebody did send me something. I should mention it. Okay. Um, the reason it is important, at least from our perspective, to join the church. If we look at, we know John six fifty three, and we, we I realize it's a whole other topic. But what he says in terms of receiving his body and blood, and I we can debate that. But for us, that's a real thing. It's a big deal. You gotta do it. Understood. Um, so, so here, here's the thing. Um, my challenge to you, Joseph, is this: um, what as Matt has uh, explained and went through with you, there's a big difference. Um, you would want us to be part of the Orthodox Church to be saved. For Matt and I, we would like you to repent of your sin and believe in Jesus Christ to be saved. There's a big difference. What you're bringing people to is a church that is crowdsourced. It was a bunch of men who in, you know, got together and decided all this stuff. And we're giving you scripture, God's word. Now, we, we dealt with it a little bit last week. I, I see a difference there. I have a whole bunch of questions I, would, I had written down. I, yeah, it was a totally different approach, and I feel bad I didn't include you. I'm yeah, so sorry. So, so, yeah, we got, so here's the thing. I, I want to make sure you understand the gospel message because— what you're what you've been proclaiming is not what scripture proclaims is the gospel. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Titus 3, 5 makes it very clear that we are saved apart from works, not by works. Oh no, um, I agree with you. But membership of a church, baptism, doing good works are all works. Well, we, we and, know that bapti baptism is in the scripture. Here's the right? thing. Just just hear me out for a sec. Yeah, yeah. The thing is this every man-made religion relies on human beings. Every man-made religion relies on men doing some effort, whether it's added to their faith or completely by their human effort, to be in a right state with God. 
that's what you've been proclaiming, that we do something with faith plus works, which is what Roman Catholicism says. Well, no, um, not exactly. But, hold, hold on, because we, I, I want we're, we're over time, and I want to yeah. wrap up, and I want to make sure that before this show is out, you hear the gospel, okay? It's not a church that's going to save. It's not a bunch of men from, from the past, even if you want to say that they passed down that succession. What the Bible says is that it is in Christ that we find salvation. The difference I see is that with what you've been saying this past two hours has been really a man-made religion. I know you disagree with me. I understand. Mm-hmm. Okay? Fully understand it. But we don't have enough time. But we don't have enough time. We can get into it next week. But the thing is this. If you believe that Mary can hear all sin, hear all prayers, that things like that, then you're, you're extending, you're adding, as Matt tried to say, you're adding to Scripture, which the Scripture says that's something to be condemned. The real important part that I think gets added to is this one thing that is the difference between eternal life and eternal death. And that is when people add works to salvation. Every single man-made religion has one thing in common, whether it's Mormonism, which Matt quoted to you and you you agreed with it, because what you believe is this one essential difference. It's the difference between basically being saved by Christ alone or saved by Christ slash faith plus some works, whether that's baptism, church membership, doing work. The body and blood of Christ. Yeah. So the that, is, actually, that actually says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Talk about that another time. Because like we, I said, we we're out of time. Is that works? We talk about what's happening at the Passover. Um, and, and I'll tell you what, you, you, we can continue it somewhat in the after show, put on by the council. And, and the council has has decreed uh, that much of what you've said is wrong. And so you can come into the council show afterwards. I'll put the link there. But uh, uh, it's, it's been two hours, guys. <laughs> you, you're welcome to come back here. Here's the thing. I really, you know, for Matt and I, we're concerned with where you spend eternity. And yeah, if you're believing that works have anything to do with you getting forgiveness of sin, uh, especially when you recognize that, that that sin was removed at the cross, there's nothing you could do. It was already done by yeah, the, before I, you were born. Sin again. So the thing is, is guys, I'm going to move over to the other room yep. now. Okay. So the, the thing we'll done. Hey, Joe, it's a real fact. I enjoyed talking to you. Let's talk again. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Okay. I'll be over there in the other room. Okay. Right. So, okay. so Joe, as we close out, my, my, my prayer is that you would, you'd repent of believing in a, in a, a man-made work salvation and believe the gospel. I know that you think you already do, but Every Mormon thinks they do. Every Catholic thinks they do. Everyone thinks they do. So, so just take to heart. Do the do the study. Like Matt gave you some things to look at. Check it out. Uh, we can come back next week and see where where you're at with with that study and see what new things you have. All right. Okay. Well, I would definitely learn, and maybe next week you can you can get questions. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, so folks, this is part of th- this apologetics live is a ministry of striving for eternity. We do it in in. Uh, in correlation with uh, CARM, uh, two great ministries you can check out. You can go to strivingforeternity.org, check out some of the classes that we have there, some of the podcasts with, that is who runs the Christian podcast community. So you can check that out. And you should also check out CARM. We've listed a couple of articles already that we've referred to and have been linked. 
So you can check out those articles at CARM to answer some of these questions. So until next week, you can remember eight o'clock Eastern time live, check out Apologetics Live and see you next week for your challenging questions.